0: I'm overdosed on cough drops right now, so if I start dancing a jig in the spirit, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's the cough drops. Um, <clears throat> if I were to ask you to name sins, just name the sins that you think America is is uh, is guilty of. You're going to come up with a great list of of all the common stuff: greed, lust, selfishness, ungrateful. I mean, uh. uh um, unforgiveness and just all and on and on and on but it's very doubtful you would come up with I think what the number one sin in America is which is unforgiveness I mean unthankfulness we are ungrateful to God we as a people in America are blessed beyond anything we can imagine God has given us such freedom. We can, we can go out and purchase anything we want, providing you have the money. You can go anywhere, anytime, any place you want. You have the freedom to worship anything, any God, any, anything you possibly want to worship. I mean, we have all sorts of freedoms in America. And God has blessed us as a nation of, uh, among nations in this world. We're a world power. And yet we don't walk around this world with a sense of gratitude for God. We're going to put our James study aside for one week and just kind of focus on this weekend of Thanksgiving and this idea of giving God thanks and remembering who God is and, and what he's done for us. And so we're going to spend a little time on, on gratitude, which I think we neglect here in America because we understand God is a blessing. We understand God and that, that he gives us so much and yet we don't have this sense of remembering it's all from God. Or that even God is, is pertinent to our, to our scenario, to our situation. And so we kind of put him on a back burner. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 to 22 says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful but became futile in their thoughts, and in their, their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, he says they became fools. So Paul writes, and he says, that God's invisible qualities have, have been seen. What does that mean? That means that you can walk out into, into to, to anything in this world, and look out and understand something intelligent is behind this creation. I mean, if you ever stood on the rim of the Grand Canyon or, or Cedar Bryce or some of those other places around this world, they're just magnificent, and, and you look around and just you think, this, God made this. He made this for me. I mean, I take it personal. I look at this stuff and say, God did all this so that I can stand here and, and see Him and understand Him. You can't go outside and look at the stars. Have you ever been to our, to our couples retreat out in the middle of nowhere, out in the desert? Um, they, have this, we, they do this thing every year that, where they usually take you on this horseback ride, uh, not horseback ride, a, a, a hay ride out into the, to, to the darkness. Have you ever been on that? You, all of a sudden, as soon as you get away from the camp, billions of stars that we never get to see here all of a sudden show up. You can see the Milky Way. And it's amazing to see it. And you look at that and you think, God made this. God made this for us. And it's an amazing thought. His creation shows us that there's something behind this. There's something intelligent to this design that that causes us to have to see God exists. And yet, he says, although they knew God exists because of the creation, it says, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. So in seeing all this and believing God did this amazing thing, nobody cared to stop and thank God for it. Nobody cared to to give him that moment of saying, you know, we're grateful. God, this is amazing. How can you recognize God as God and not be thankful for who he is? I mean, if we really understood God, the creator of everything, the creator of the universe, the creator of all that we see, all that we know, all that we can touch, all that we can even imagine, God created it. There's a being out there that made it all. How could you know that and not have a sense of gratitude for what he's done? Paul calls that foolishness. Even though they knew God, they didn't honor him or or were thankful for him. In In their minds, professing to be wise, they became fools. A thankful heart, I think is your greatest virtue. A thankful heart is the, is, is, is the greatest thing you can have. To, to understand God created it all. And to, and to hold the sense of gratitude toward Him is one of the greatest things you can hold. And out of that virtue, out of that one virtue of that gratefulness to God, church, all the other virtues in your life come from. If you begin your life with a, with a gratitude, everything else good that comes out of your life comes from that thankfulness. If, if gratitude is your greatest virtue then ingratitude is your greatest failure. Failing to see God in everything is one of the greatest missteps you'll ever have in your life and yet we have one day a year that we say thank you. For us Christians it ought to be a life walk. The Bible says in everything give thanks and we ought to have that a part of who we are and, and a part of everything we do So as we uh, set this book of James aside for one week, we're going to go to Psalm chapter 16. This is a psalm of David. David wrote this psalm at a time of crisis in his life. Early on, this is one of his early psalms, so this is likely probably about the time that he's being chased around by Saul. and, and, And on the lamb. His life is not great. Things aren't going well for David. And he writes this psalm. What this psalm does, this psalm shows us his heart. It shows us what's sustaining David, what's allowing David to get through life in spite of things being pretty bad right now. And so he's going to reveal his heart. And what I want us to see out of it is how to cultivate a grateful heart for us. How do we we live life in such a way that we can build this heart of ours that's going to be able to hang on to the truths of God and the glory and the goodness of God in spite of what's happening around us? And David's going to show us that. The very first thing he's going to show you is that if we're going to build this heart of, of, of thanksgiving, we have to acknowledge all the good places of God. Everything good in, in our life is, 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 is from God. And David's going to acknowledge that. Look at Psalm 16, verse 1 and 2. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust, O my soul. You have said to the Lord, You are my Lord, and my goodness is nothing apart from you. Now look at the relationship David has with, with God, first of all. He says, he says You are my... Lord, he says, preserve me, my soul, my, for you have said to the Lord. He's talking about his inner being, his inner man, has said to the Lord. Now, notice that word, Lord. Have, my soul has said to the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. What's that mean? God. Yahweh, God, right? That's, the, that's how, when your Bible's when it's all caps like that, it means God, right? He says, my soul has said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Now, notice that Lord is lowercase, Capital L, lowercase O-R-D. Which means what? Master. Right? So Saul, I mean, uh, so, so David is saying to the Lord. God, you're my master. You're my leader. I submit myself to you as my master. He's submitting his life to God. When he's, from the depths depth of his soul, from the depths of his inner being. He's saying to the, to the father you own me. All I have is yours. You're my master. You're my, you're my savior. Yahweh is my master. And then he adds this. and He says, my goodness is nothing apart from you. He's saying everything that's good in my life, everything that I have that's good, it's coming from you. He's acknowledging his master, God, as the source of everything good in his life. Which is kind of an amazing thing because when you think about where David's at right now, he's on the lamb, He's hiding out from Saul. And yet he's saying, God, there's goodness in me. And then all that good stuff that I'm experiencing right now is from you. And he acknowledges God as the source of everything good. Jesus did the same thing. John chapter 15, 5 verse 19, it's not on the board. It says, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself But what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does likewise. Um, Jesus even says, everything I do is from God. All this that you see the Son doing, that's from the Father. Right? God is the source of everything good. David's acknowledging that. He's looking at his life and he's saying, there's good things. Even though I'm in this situation, there's good things. And it's all from you. It's all from God, it's all from the Father. James 1.17, every good good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. James is acknowledging everything that's good in life comes from God. David is holding that same stance in the middle of trial. In the middle of being persecuted and chased and and hunted down by Saul, David's still standing saying, God, it's all good. And it's all from you. And everything good that I have, everything good that I acknowledge, God comes from you. So what is the good in your life that you can point to and say, that's from God? I mean, can you think of anything? There's stuff in your life that's happening. I don't know where your life, I don't know where you're is. You may be going through a trial or a tribulation or turmoil or something else. But there's something in your life you can point to and say that's from God. And that's good. Because God does that to us all the time. He's always bringing us to that, that place. This psalm was written from this time of distress. And David says, you're my Lord. And everything good I have comes from you. So he's acknowledging there's still some good places. And they still come from God. Next, David shows you that if you want to cultivate a grateful relationship and a grateful heart with God, you need to be mindful of the company you keep. You need to be careful who you're hanging out with. Look what he says. Verse 2, verse 3. He says, As for the saints who were on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight, and their sorrows are shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. In this time of distress, David's remembering something very important here. And that is, he needs to pay attention to who his friends are. You've got to watch out because your friends will influence your thoughts. Your friends will influence what you understand and what you believe. And David's saying, and <clears throat> excuse me, all these cough drops are kind of getting to me. David's saying, I love your chosen people. He says, he's talking about the saints. He's talking about Israelites. I love your people. I delight in them. But when they follow after other gods, that's going to multiply their sorrow. And David's saying, that's not a place I can be right now. David's looking at the good in life. He's already looking at, at being persecuted and chased by Saul, but he's saying, God, you're still bringing me good things. But as for your people... They're getting sorrow because they're not following after you. You see, he's showing his life in a comparison. In the midst of his trials, he's got God and, he, and everything's good. But here's Israel, the Israelites back who are not following after God and they're experiencing sorrow and heartache. Even though they're not being pursued. Even though they got their king, the king they've been asking for all these years. They're still not where they need to be. In the midst of my trial, Lord, I have you. And there's good places in my life. Proverbs chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 26 says, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Guys, there's people in our lives that, that just drive us down negative paths. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three says, Evil company corrupts good habits. There have been many people in my life over the years that I've had to kind of just say, you know what, I can't hang out with you anymore. Because you're bringing that negative stuff into my life, that energy that I just don't want to be a part of. There are people that are always looking for the downside, always looking for the wrong, always looking for things to go wrong. They're expecting the worst in everybody. And you hang out with those people, but you begin to do that too. And you've got to watch your friends. You've got to watch who you're out. And David's looking at Israel, following after all these false gods. He says, I'm not going to go there because they're heading for sorrow. I can't do that right now. I need to focus on the good. I need to focus on what God's doing. The right friends, church, will always pull you closer to God. The wrong friends will always be pushing you away. And if these people in your life are not pulling you closer to God, then you need to leave them behind you need to move on because there's going to be nothing but sorrow for you. You've got to bring your life closer to God and you've got to count on your friends to do that for you. With you, I should say. You do it for yourself, but they're going to help you. Surround yourself by positive people, that people that know the Lord and trust the Lord and want to follow the Lord. The right kinds of friends will bring you closer to God. And then he tells you <clears throat> in verse 4 that we've got to keep God a priority. God has to remain a priority in our life. Look what he says. Verse 4 goes on. He says, Their drink offering of blood I will not offer, nor take their names upon my lips. In the Levitical law, since the days of Moses, God has had one stipulation that's very important to him. Man shall never drink the blood of anything. You don't pass drink the blood of sacrifices of animals or people or anything else. Yet in pagan practices... That's common. What they believed back then, and especially in the the worship of Molokai, is that the blood was the essence of the life force of that other person. And if you partake of that blood, or you partake of the blood of that animal, that sacrifice that you're you're giving to, 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 to Molokai, that life force becomes you, so you drink the blood. And they're practicing that. Israelites are practicing that. And David's saying, I can't do that. I can't drink the drink offering, the blood drink offering these people are doing. I'm not going to go there with my life. See, we need to set a priority with God that we're going to put him first. And we're going to follow him. And David's saying, I'm not going to go where they go. He even says, I'm not going to even put their names, the name of their God on my lips. I'm not going to even acknowledge them. You've got to take a stand for God in life. You've got to make a decision to put God first and to put him in a place in life that he's your number one, that he's your priority. If everything good comes from him, then why wouldn't you want him to be your priority? Why wouldn't you want him to be number one for you? David's making that stand. He's saying, I'm not going to go there. Then look what he says in verse 5. Here's why he's so firm in that stance. He says, oh Lord, you were the portion of my inheritance and my cup. When God was dividing up the promised land to the Israelites, he took the tribes of, of the Israelites and he divided up all the promised land except to the tribe of Levites, the family of Levi. He took that one family and made them the priests for the nation. And he told them, everybody else is going to get land but you. He says, and here's why, look what he says, in Numbers 8.20 he says, because I am your portion and your inheritance. Everybody's going to get part of the promised land, everybody's going to get an inheritance of physical land but you priests I'm your inheritance that's an amazing thought I mean you might look at the world and uh, look at the Levite and say they got gypped but where's that land today to the 12 tribes it's gone it's taken away in fact by the time we get to Malachi the book of Malachi remember 400 years before the New Testament begins the land is Gone. Nobody owns it. At least the Israelites don't. Everybody else owns it. And the inheritance is gone. But who still got their inheritance? The Levites. Because nobody can take your faith from you. They can take your property. They can take your health. They can take your, your job. They can take everything you own. But they can't take your faith. And that's what he said, David's saying. He's agreeing that he, that's his too. With the Lord being my priority, with me being, putting him first, with me following after him and trusting in him, nobody can take that from me. God is my inheritance. In the midst of his trial and Saul trying to stop him, God had promised David to be the next king. Saul says, not as long as I'm alive. He's not taking my throne. And he starts pursuing him, hunting him down. He's trying to kill him. I mean, how many times did Saul throw a spear at David and David dodged it? I mean, there's no question Saul wants him dead. And David at this point is looking at life saying, even if it goes, God is my inheritance. If Saul succeeds, I still have the Lord. The only way that works is when you put God first. You remember the words of Joshua, Joshua 24. We've read that passage many times. Joshua says, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether it be the gods your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He says, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You see, that's a stand. Church, that's a, that's a positional p- place you take that you intentionally choose in your life that I'm going to stand for God. And no one can take that from me. No one can rob me of my faith. This world can throw all kinds of stuff at you, all kinds of curveballs, all kinds of hills and valleys and everything else you're going to go through, but they can't take your faith. And David says, because of all that's going on in my life, I have an inheritance still. My inheritance is with the Lord. So even if Saul succeeds, I still win. Psalm Five goes on. David says, "You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places." Now that line amazes me, because here's a guy who's hiding in caves. He's running for his life. He has to. His 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 beloved stepbrother Saul, not a stepbrother, adopted brother, I guess you'd call him, uh, Jonathan, and him have to meet in hiding. And things aren't going well for David. He's on the lam. His friends are saying, there's no place you can go from this guy. David's life is constantly on the move. And yet he says, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. You see that even the trials can't steal the joy. Even the tribulation can't take away his joy in God. And he's still recognizing that even though things aren't great, there's still good things going on. We've got to recognize that there's pleasant places in life for us. In spite of where things are, in spite of what's happening, there are good things still going on. You may be behind behind an eight ball. You may be in some kind of trial or tribulation or or some kind of horrible dark place in your life, but there are good things that are happening and you've got to recognize those as being from God. There are times, church, when everything seems to be upside down in life. And we look at life and say, I, I just can't get a break. It's just not working for me. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And this, this is a horrible time and I'm just hanging on by the skin of my teeth. And we begin to think in those kinds of times, that's how life is. It's all bad. But church, that's not true. Life is not all bad. You have bad times and you go through bad things. But your life is not all bad. In fact, I'm willing to bet you with you that I could show you that your life is better more and more, more better. There's more good in your life than there is bad, no matter how bad you think it is. Here's my example, and it's going to get me in trouble. This one says to me often, often You never do this, or you always do that. My response to that is, Really? So I always. All the time, nonstop, am doing this thing that you're. I always do it. Well, okay, you don't always do it, but you do it a lot. So really, all I do it a lot. A lot of times, I walk around. Okay, you've done it before, you know, and it's kind of tickles down to where I get a break. She's not smiling, is she? <laughs> Starting to get hot up here. We say it though. All the time. You always, it's always bad. Everything's bad. I don't have any breaks. I never get this. I never That's not true. It's not always whatever it is you're facing. It's not all about that trial that you're that you're dealing with. You got up this morning. You just took a breath. You're going to get up tomorrow, most likely. And take another breath. And you're going to walk. You're going to meet people. You're going to see family. You're going to hug your kids. You're going to hug your dog. You're going to hug whatever. And life's going to be good. But then there's going to be this thing that pops up that may be a trial or tribulation or something negative. And you're going to dwell on that. And what you're going to do is allow that to erase everything else good that happens. I've said it many many times. I I can stand at the back door and everybody say, Pastor, great sermon. Great sermon, Pastor. Great sermon. You know, I heard it 25, 30 times. And then somebody comes along and says, I don't know, that didn't make any sense to me. (laughs) And all next week I'm saying, Oh God, my sermon was so bad. It sucked. No, I didn't make sense to anybody. I don't know what happened. I'm just looking at the one person who woke up on the wrong side of the bed and decided to tell me and share me in their crankiness. And I focus on that one. Because that's what we do. But David's saying, life isn't all bad. He says, the lines of pleasant places fall into my life. There are good things that are happening here. In spite of him being on the lamb, In spite of him being chased. We've got to recognize the pleasant places in our life and recognize that those things come from God. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will direct your the desires. He will give you the desires of your heart. If you put your faith and your trust in God, you give him your heart, you give him your priorities, you give him your will, then guess what? God's going to give you the desires of your heart. He's going to make things happen that are positive and pleasant for you. When your will is God's will, when your desire is to desire God, God's going to give you all of your desires and all of your will. Because that's what he does. You desire more God, he's going to give you more God. And then he gives us to this this other thing. He says, if you're going to cultivate a grateful heart, he says, you've got to look forward to better days than this. There's something beyond this. There's something better than this. And look what he says. Very simply, Verse 16 goes on, he says, yes, I have a good inheritance. My inheritance falls from the Lord. My inheritance is of God, and I've got a really good inheritance. That thing I'm looking forward to after this life is over, it's going to be really good. It's going to be really pleasant. It's going to be one of those great things that I'm looking forward to it. I've got a good inheritance waiting for me. In the midst of all the distress, David says, better days are coming. Better days. It's not going to be like this all the time. It's going to get better. And he's looking forward to, to, to this. A pastor once told me complaints are like the flu in church, man. They're very contagious. If, if you, you, you get hanging around people that are wanting to complain and wanting to be negative, guys, it's going to catch like wildfire. That's why David's saying you've got to watch who your friends are. Because they're going to influence your thought and your, your understanding and the way you think and the way you process. Start hanging around positive people because there's better days ahead. You want to find the people that will bring out the good. That will remind us that things aren't always going to be bad. There's, there are good things in my life. There are positive things happening. There are good lines following, falling into my life. In spite of how this thing feels. This week we were at our family celebration at Reba's family's house. And we prayed for Thanksgiving like we always do as a family, standing around in a big circle. And yet we're sitting at this dinner table praying for Thanksgiving at the same time we're praying for family members that are facing the end of their life. And saying, God, we're thankful. And it's, it's a hard thing to, to, to rationalize the two. That in life there's going to be negative things. In life there's going to be things that fall that are, that are hard to swallow and hard to uphold and, and hard to like. But yet there are things still always to be thankful for. When sometimes even a loved one going home is a process of thanksgiving. Because of the promises of God. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. I mean, what an awesome thing for somebody that's struggling with life. Freedom from that. And so even in hard times, there are things to be thankful for. And David's saying, look forward to the better days. Look ahead to the good things that he's going to bring about. Have this outlook in the midst of distress. David can say, I've got better days coming. I love that. It's easy to find something to complain about. If you look, you're going to find it. If you want fault, you'll find it. But David says, look for something positive. Encouragement comes from a choice to look beyond what's wrong and to find what's good. And he's challenging us to come and, and be that source. In David's life, when he's got plenty to complain about, he says, I have a good inheritance. What God is going to give me is really good right now. Let me give you a scripture that if you can hold on to this scripture and understand the weight behind this scripture, it'll change how you process life. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. It says, But now, having been set free from sin and having become a slave to God, you have fruit. To holiness and the end in the end you have everlasting life What Paul's saying there is, is at the end of this life when this life is over when all this 80 90 years that you're gonna spend walking this earth with all the things you're gonna face and all the different hills and valleys and everything else when this whole life is over you got two things you got salvation and you got eternity so it doesn't matter what happened in those 80 or 90 years you walk this earth. What matters is what you leave this earth with. Salvation and an eternity with God. And that's the perspective that David's holding on to in the midst of his trials. He says, I've got a great inheritance. No matter what Saul's doing to me, no matter what's happening in life, I've got God. And I've got a new choice. And then in 7 and 8, verse 7 and 8, he's going to tell you, if you really want to cultivate a heart of gratitude, you keep God close. Keep him very close in your life. You keep him connected. Look what he says, verse 7. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. First of all, David says, God is my guide. God is the one giving me counsel. Counsel means advice. There's a lot of people in David's life right now giving him advice. You've got to run from Saul. You've got to hide. You've got to stay moving. You've got to get out of here. You've got to go out. It's all, you don't have any place to hide. A lot of negative stuff coming into David's life. And he's looking at the Israelites who are following after false gods and doing all the things they ought not to be doing and finding nothing but sorrow. And he's looking at his life saying, but my life's different. I'm listening to God. God has made a promise to me. And I'm going to cling to that promise. I'm going to believe that God, if God says he's going to do it, he's going to see it through. It's like we say, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. David's seeing the same thing. God told me I was going to be king. And I'm not leaving that behind. I'm going to hang on to that truth. So I'm going to bless the Lord who's given me good advice. And then he says, my heart instructs me in the night sessions. And I love that line. My heart instructs me in the night session. You know what that means? When things get dark, my heart's going to keep me lifted up. My heart's going to tell me what to feel. I'm not going to let the darkness overtake me. When things are looking pretty bad, I'm hiding in caves, I'm running from Saul, he's throwing spears at me, he's doing all the stuff that's going on. When this is happening, my heart's going to tell me it's going to be okay. So as even things get, when things get difficult, David's heart's not going to let him fall into the darkness. And look what he calls it though. He calls it night, what? Seasons. You know what that means, seasons? That means it's not this one night thing, wrong thing that's going wrong. You know, you get up and you stub your toe in the morning. That's a thing. He's talking about, I'm going to live a season of darkness. I'm going to go through this time, this period, where things aren't going to be good for me. And when that's happening... My heart's going to keep me, my heart's going to hold me in place because I trust God and I trust what he's saying to me. Then verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me. He says, I made a decision. Here's why my heart's going to struck me in those seasons because I've got, the God, I've got God and I've put God right here. He's always going to be my guide. He's always going to be my leader. He's always going to show me. I'm gonna always, he's going to always be my Lord. I will always be a slave. And he will guide me through this. He will make it happen. And then he says this, and here's why his focus is the way it is. He says, because he is at my right hand, because he's at my right hand, he says, I won't be moved. Because I'm keeping the Lord first. Because I'm putting God where he needs to be in my life. When this dark season comes, I'm solid. I'm good. When we started this church on my end, we called it Solid Rock. We called it Solid Rock for a reason. Because we knew that if people could put themselves on a foundation of Jesus, they have built their life on a solid rock. And that was our theme. That was our our drive when we first started this church. When Reba and I first planted this thing years ago. That if you put your life on Jesus, you build on a firm foundation. That when the waves come, you won't be moved. It'll be solid. David's saying that exact same thing. When the dark seasons come, because I put the Lord before me, I shall not be moved. His faith will stand. And you can go through a trial and a tribulation. You can go through heartache and and brokenness and everything else that befalls your life. And if you're standing in Christ, you're going to be standing in a firm place where you can say, God won't forget me. I have a good inheritance. I have something good to look forward to. You've got to keep God close. Psalm 65, verse 4. Blessed are those who who you choose and bring near to live in your courts because we are filled with good things of your house and of your holy temple. The closer you come to God, the more he brings into your life. The more you choose to look and honor and follow God, the more he brings active into your life. When trials and tribulations come and you're hanging on to God and hanging close to God, church, his goodness is going to come through. And his goodness will sustain you. And even when David is looking at all these difficult things going on, he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm with God. And I'm not, I'm not going to be moved. And when we follow God, church, he does the same to us. He brings his blessings into our life. He brings his will. He brings his encouragement. He brings his word. The Bible says, your word is a lamp unto my feet. It shows me where to go. It shows me how to walk. It shows me how to sustain and, and live and, and survive this stuff. When you go after God, he brings his life, his courts, his temple, his love, his word into your life. That's why David can say, I won't be moved. I'm going to stand. Well, then there's one final step he gives us. The final step is, we've got to learn to celebrate who we are in God. You've got to learn to celebrate the fact that you belong to God. Look what he says in verse 8, or 9. Verse 9, it says, my Therefore, therefore means, because of all that I just said, therefore, my heart is glad, my glory rejoices, my flesh will also rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. In Acts 24, I believe it is, Peter quotes that verse, that very verse in Psalm 16. Peter quotes it and says, David was talking about Jesus when he said this, which makes this whole psalm a picture of Christ, a foreshadow of Christ. Christ that there's a moment in time when David is recognizing God you've got me that even if I die you won't leave me in Sheol that means the grave you won't leave me in the grave even if I die remember my inheritance is with God and you'll never allow your servant your your, um, holy one to seek corruption David understood himself to be the holy one of God because God chose him to be that that's how he saw his life. And he said, Because I'm your holy one, God, he says, I'll never see corruption. My body has something else beyond this world. My soul will live. The ultimate fulfillment of that comes in the resurrection of Jesus when God didn't allow his body to see corruption. David's talking about a soul. But he's also talking about the the moment that God raises the son from the dead. And he sees life. But David says, that's me. That's that's what I'm going to get. When this life is over, if Saul takes me, I'm going to be with God. I've got a future. I've got a hope. And look what he says. This is all worth it, he's saying, because he says, my heart is glad, my guidance, my glory is, is, is rejoices, my flesh will rest in hope. The thing that we get antsy about is our flesh. The flesh wants gratification. The flesh wants satisfaction. It wants to, it's, it's just scratched. It wants its, its desires fulfilled. The flesh is that thing that is our human part that wants and feels and thinks and knows. And that's the part that typically walks away from God because it lusts after the things of the world. But David says, because of him and his relationship with God, because he's he's understanding who he is with God, he says, My heart is glad, my glory rejoices, and my flesh will rest. My flesh will rest. Church, we don't have to be like this world. We don't have to fall into the patterns of this world at all. We do, we will, but we don't have to. Because when we put our lives in God and and bring Him close and, and make Him our priority and do all this that David's saying, these are the benefits. This is what happens. Even your soul, even your flesh rests and is satisfied. Because God is our desire. And He will always give us the desires of our heart when we place Him first. David is living his life for God. And church, I promise you, that's not an easy thing to do. When you decide to put God first in your life, you're going to give up a lot of things. You're going to give up your worldly pleasures. You're going to give up your desires, maybe your finances, maybe your career, maybe your home, maybe whatever. When you put God first, it's going to cost. But to David, he's saying it's all worth it even all that I'm going through right now is all worth it because I have God and my glory rejoices and my flesh rests. Romans 8, verse 35 to 39, I think is the ultimate picture of what, what we have to hang on to. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of God? The love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. For whose sake is Paul talking about here, by the way? Jesus. For the sake of being a follower in Christ, they are persecuted. Alright? They are being hammered. They They are being shed as, as, as a sacrifice. For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now listen to this. Yet in all these things. We are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. In spite of everything I have to put up with in this world. In spite of everything that's going wrong. Because I, I call the name of Jesus. And I call on the name of Christ and, as my own. And I follow his will. Because of all that, I'm suffering big time, yet I'm a winner. I still win. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or principalities, or powers, or things present, or things to come, nor height, or depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus." See, that's what David's clinging to in his trial, in his 16th Psalm. That no matter what happens in this world, there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Remember what Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And no one can snatch, us from, snatch them from my hands. So no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult this hurdle is that you're facing right now, even if by world standards you lose this one, you're still with God. And you still have an inheritance beyond this world that's amazing. You are never a loser. You are never going to face defeat as long as you are following Christ. And Look how David concludes this thought. Verse 11. Here's what he's really grateful for. <clears throat> he says, you will show me the path of life. And in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see where his victory is? It's in Christ. It's in God. It's in the Father. you're going to show me how to live life. In your presence, God, I'm happy. Even if this life has turned sour. And at your right hand, I have pleasure forever. All right, so how do we turn this thing into a life of gratitude? Gratitude a heart of gratitude. How do we cultivate that into our life? Well, you've got to learn to put life into perspective. Let me give you an example. A young lady writes home to her mother from college and she says, Mom, I'm sorry I haven't written. Yes, my arm really was broken when I fell out of my window at my dormitory and I also broke my leg. I landed in the hospital because of the fire in the dorm. Fortunately, across the street was a service station. And the service station attendant, Paul, saw the flames of the dormitory. And he, and he called the fire department. They were there quickly to rescue me. I've been in the hospital for several days. Paul stood by my side the whole time. And while it took so long for the dorm to be made livable again, I had to move in with Paul. Unfortunately, I'm pregnant, Mom. And Paul is going to marry me as soon as he gets his divorce. Everything else is going okay, Mom. I'll write to you soon. Sincerely, Susie. Not this, Susie. (laughs) And then she signs, P.S. None of that above was true, but I just wanted you to put life in perspective when you hear that I failed chemistry. (laughs) But that's kind of what we need to do. My mom used to have a saying. She said it all the time. She said, there but for the grace of God go I, right? She said that all the time to us. She'd always use that. Whenever we'd see somebody in trouble or somebody struggling, mom would always say, there but for the grace of God go I. I never really understood that until I became a Christian. Because I understand what that means. God's grace is with me. God's grace carries me. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong in life. And when you look at all the things that that, that you're going through in your life, you can always find somebody that's in a harder and more difficult situation than you are. Their rock is bigger (laughs) that they're stuck between than you are. There's always somebody and something that can get worse in life. There but for the grace of God go I. And when you put life into that perspective and realize that, like David, who says, and when this life is over, no matter how difficult things are for me right now, I have an inheritance in heaven. And no matter what I see and how bad things seem to be, there are good lines that are falling in my life. And all those lines, God, are from you. You see, church, when we know God, you can't help but be grateful. You can't help but cultivate a heart of gratitude. In spite of the trials, in spite of the tribulation, in spite of the rock and the hard place that you're stuck in, you have God. And He will take you gloriously to heaven. And you win. And even in the difficulties while you're stuck here on this earth, His love will never leave you. It'll never forsake you. Can you carry that with you? Because if you can, then you can have a heart of gratitude. You can have a heart of thanksgiving that doesn't last one day or one weekend. It can last a lifetime.